After living overseas for more than a decade, I came to appreciate far more who I was, where I come from, and the kinds of remarkable people I encountered at the same time as I was trying to find my way as an expat. In my travels, I've met expats of every description. They are my guests on Expat Enclave, and I'm your host, Paul Miazga. A former diplomat turned entrepreneur who tries to bring out the best in everyone around her, Clara Perron, the founder and managing director at Value for Good in Berlin, believes in being an agent of positive change in the world. As a socially focused career woman, this master in public policy graduate of the Harvard Kennedy School helps organizations across the private, public, and nonprofit sectors address the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. In that way, her work reflects her life, a commitment to helping others and trying to give back as much as she feels she has been given in this world. Clara, welcome to Expat Enclave. Thanks, Paul, and thanks for this very generous introduction. (laughs) I think your resume speaks for itself, so I'd be hard-pressed to uh, cut it back at all. Uh, You run a boutique consultancy, Value for Good, which helps clients to develop impact strategies. In other words, they work with you to have a greater positive impact on the world. That's quite different from a focus on how can we help you make more money. What inspired you to start such a niche business and what kinds of challenges do you face in trying to encourage sustainable development? Great. Thanks for this uh, question. And uh, it's always interesting to reflect back on what incited one to start something because it never is a a straight answer or a logical step from from the past. So I, I guess it was maybe a number of different things. So on the one hand, I really, I mean, I... I have a grandfather who was a Lutheran minister. I was raised with kind of this idea of giving back as being important, mother being a teacher. So I realized that um, I always had to do something that was somehow useful. Mm-hmm. I remember being asked as a small kid, you know, what do you want to be growing up? And I just would be saying things like, yeah, I want to be useful. Um, <laughs> but I did uh, I did actually venture on the making money side of things that I did actually work for one of the large consulting companies, uh, the Boston Consulting Group for four years, um, uh, where I did learn a lot, but I realized that that isn't something that motivates me to, you know, put in the extra mile. And sure, uh, I learned a lot about, you know, how to make a business case, et cetera, et cetera, and that mm-hmm. it is important to have a sustainable business model in order for something to, you know, sustain its employees and to um, kind of bring, you know, grow the economy of a, comp- of a country, which is also very important for society. Mm-hmm. But I realized really that it was tackling our major glo- global issues that, um, really kind of made me burn and made me want to stay up at night and and work on those Excel sheets, et cetera. And so that's how, um, after a longer journey at uh, Boston Consulting Group, I then decided to combine my passion for doing good with my consulting um, background and uh, founded the company. Um, yeah, and probably the other thing was that I had observed that in the social impact space, you had um, you had some firms that were active, but um, they were, I would say, they weren't using the tools of uh, business consulting. And I thought mm-hmm. that that was uh, something that was missing. Um, and I wanted to kind of fill that gap. 
How long have you been running Value for Good now? Um, I'd say it's just over six years. Yeah, we founded in December 2014. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. You know, given what you were saying about uh, your uh, experiences and uh, wanting to help change the world. I mean, you've definitely seen a lot of the world. Uh, you've lived in many different countries, India, Egypt, Cambodia, and Canada, to name a few. Uh, what kinds of things have helped you adapt to life abroad? What makes you feel at, uh, at home uh, wherever you've been? Hmm. Well, well, I guess I, I always grew up with one foot in Canada and one foot in Europe because I'm half Canadian, half German. So I think I'll, I never really quite felt 100% at home in Canada growing up. I always had this thing that was a bit uh, different. Um, but nevertheless, you kind of make a home for yourself uh, no matter where you go. Um, and it's, I'd say it's a few things. So on the it can be just the small things like having your favorite coffee in the morning um, that you can make no matter where you are, whether you're in uh, Mumbai or in uh, Ottawa or in Berlin and you make it your way. And um, it was little things like that that kind mm -hmm. of made me feel that I was at home somewhere else or doing my yoga routine in the morning. Um, but I think like the most important thing was always to really enjoy and, and discover the place that I moved to and mm -hmm. to really gain appreciation for it. So I think my, I mean, they, they say there are these typical phases of, you know, getting to know a country, you have the honeymoon phase, which are kind of, I don't know, the first four to six months where you're kind of traveling all over, meeting all sorts of people, really falling in love with it. Then you can get into this kind of disappointment phase, then you kind of come into <laughs> acceptance and realization. Um, and uh, I just always invested a lot in that honeymoon phase. And I tried to keep that honeymoon going as long as possible. Um, and really, I don't know. Um, I mean, I still do that in Berlin. I still try to explore new places here um, to kind of keep that place be vibrant and um, kind of like that the place that one is to always offer more and kind of new opportunities. So I don't know. I think it's uh, it depends also who you are as a person. I'm someone who probably has this kind of growth mindset. So wherever I am, I have to make mm -hmm. that place continuously open new doors for me. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who maybe likes um, loyalty, stability, etc., it's maybe finding those routines in that in that place or that sanctuary of peace and calm that you can always go back to. So. I guess it's, yeah, kind of making wherever you are gel for who you are as a, as a person. No. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. It definitely does. Um, you know, given that you were born in Canada to uh, German and French-speaking parents, uh, and over the years you've studied Arabic, Italian, and more recently Mandarin, um, is learning languages a hobby for you? Uh, is it more related to work or something else? Well, I'd say it's getting back to that honeymoon phase. It's part of this um, desire to really interact with the culture that, that I'm in. So when I lived in India for two years, I took Hindi lessons in the evenings. The goal was never to become fluent. And my Mandarin is terrible. But the <laughs> idea is to just to gain an appreciation for you know, the sounds of the language, the acoustics, the, mm -hmm. you know, learning how to make shape the, the sounds with your own tongue, to kind of uh, 
also be able to order basic things in the language. And, um, and so many languages are interlinked. So, I mean, it was amazing to, um, to see that the, you know, to learn that the word for um, earth in Hindi is art and in German it's Erde. So you have these, mm-hmm. and so it's, I don't know, I find it's, um, it's something that kind of has always been, yeah, something that has fascinated me. And it's part of, um, I think, kind of widening these horizons and also being able to communicate with, with others and to show respect also for those um, whose country you have the privilege to, to be in. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, given that you come from a very academic background and, you know, I see, uh, given what I've learned about studying Arabic and some of the ins and outs of a language that is written right to left or then something like um, Mandarin, which is tonal based, there's a bit of mental gymnastics that goes in uh, to learning some of those languages, is there not? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think I think Russian had like seven cases, etc. And uh, I mean, it's, um, I think it's something that is great um, uh, mental gymnastics. Um, I mean, my, my mom, for example, is, is uh, retired and is learning Spanish for fun. And it's something that kind of um, keeps you alert and awake. And I find in these COVID times, learning a language um, on the weekends, in the morning is, is something that, I don't know, just kind of makes me feel that I'm going a little bit forward. I've learned mm-hmm. a new word today. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and maybe I'll forget it tomorrow, but that's not the point. It's, it's about, I don't know, just being, um, yeah. And also being more connected to different, um, I mean, in the case of Chinese, because this country is just shaping more and more what um, our, our global politics. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's also a way of engaging with this um, superpower, so to say. Absolutely. You know, given that music is also a type of language and you know that quite well, um, it's been, as far as I understand, uh, a large part of your life since childhood. You play the piano and violin and you've been in a couple of bands over the years. How do you maintain your connection to music given your busy work schedule? Yeah, well, I mean, music is just another language. So I guess there's a little red thread here in my biography. Um, yeah, and and just a minor correction. I think I was in one band only. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So I'm not not that accomplished. Um, <laughs> and it was the Boston Consulting Group's office band. So interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, uh, sad to say that I'm not quite as um, uh, playing as much uh, music as I as I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, in these times of lockdown, um, I cousin's son for example couldn't take violin lessons because mm-hmm. all of the extracurricular activities were shut down so via zoom i give him some uh violin lessons it was mm-hmm. a bit hard with the sound but yeah. uh it uh, it worked out and uh, so that was one way um or yeah and, and i guess just blasting music out loud and kind of <laughs> dancing every once in a while is is a way to kind of pretend I might still be in a techno club in Berlin and well I can't <laughs> so I'm, I'm listening more to music than I'm making it myself but mm-hmm. um, it definitely I mean it's it, it's a way of expressing yourself and and yeah so and actually uh, what I love doing is even um, like discovering new music mm-hmm. um, so yesterday for example 
I discovered a new um, rap artist who during COVID made this whole really cool rap album where he interviews his whole family and in between has kind of songs that are written about these times like I'm in the lockdown da, 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 the odyssey is the name so okay. it, it's just um it's just interesting I find it's another way of staying kind of mentally awake in these times and emotionally mm -hmm. connected again with your soul yeah I mean, how do you find uh, new music what sorts of sites or um avenues do you uh, go down to find uh, new bands new artists so I I don't do it uh it's more uh opportunistic I would say okay. um yeah so I'll, I'll happen to be listening to a radio station that's profiling some new artists and I happen to like one of the songs and then I'm looked I look them up on YouTube and then I kind of YouTube search and then kind of find other related songs so it's it's quite a it's not systematic it's not strategic it's not how I would go about a consulting project for example <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice diversion then uh, on that score and what you said about uh, teaching uh, this um, cousin's son uh, to uh, uh, like teaching him violin you've also in uh, the past chatted with me about some mentoring that you've done for, uh, I can't remember who it was, if it was a colleague's daughter or someone else on that score, uh, you definitely have this sense in your life of giving back and by uh, sharing yourself with many uh, different people. Can you tell us a bit about uh, this mentoring experience of yours? Mm, yeah, so I probably, <clears throat> sorry, uh, made a, I don't know if it's a I mean, I don't have any children of my own. Mm -hmm. And so my way of, um, I still want to be very connected to the next generation. And mm -hmm. um, uh, I still feel also quite kind of young. So I feel I'm kind of a little bit in between the parent, <laughs> the adult and, and the child. So mm -hmm. I see that in that role, I can be an ally of, um, of uh, many young people. So mm -hmm. I, and it gives me a lot of, um, joy too to feel that I can you know connect with someone and gain their trust and then also kind of open you know the different options that are out there I mean sometimes I wish that I had you know more mentors as a kid um, mm -hmm. I mean I had I had a lot but um, so I guess it's really a two-way it's that two-way road that I find so interesting mm -hmm. um, and at and age-wise uh, all sorts of ages so I have a six seven year old goddaughter who I who I talk to not as regularly not as regularly as I'd like to but um she's one of those people then there's this other amazing um um young um, woman in uh, Germany who I helped uh, pick her university so she came from a background whose her mother hadn't gone to university but we went to the um, uh, open kind of open house mm -hmm. uh, day yeah. of, of one of the universities. We went by train there and uh, she applied and she got in. So it's kind Excellent. of, I don't know, helping people along their way um, or also um, people that I work with, uh, my younger colleagues, um, especially in these COVID times to just be a listening ear and to, mm -hmm. I don't know, um, be generous in that way. I think that's... Uh, Especially in this time, I feel that that's what we can give. We can't give a lot of things. We can't visit people, but we can at least give our time, our our ear, our, I don't know, um, empathy, 
mm-hmm. and then maybe some words of encouragement. I think that's maybe I was very much infused with a glass half full mentality. And I feel that <laughs> it's something I could definitely give in these times and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of spread that. And uh, so, yeah, long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, that's very good. That's very good. Um, are there other ways in which you volunteer your time? I, I, I understand that you've got a lot of on your plate in terms of running value for good and developing clients for that. Are there other ways that you manage to give back uh, in your uh, busy schedule? Um, so I'm actually on the board of two organizations um, that I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I that I do give my time to um, online via zoom okay. <laughs> these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is the Harpswell foundation. It's um uh, a very, um, it's a foundation that is active in Cambodia and in ASEAN. And uh, I was a leadership resident in their dorm years ago. And um, I'm uh, basically, I helped them um, do different things on the board. So I helped uh, develop their theory of change as a foundation, their whole monitoring and evaluation uh, framework. Cool. And now we're looking at kind of like the governance strategy uh, for the board. So that's probably is a few hours a month maximum so but it's 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 neat to be able to shape that mm-hmm. and then I'm also active in the Harvard Alumni Club of Berlin um, so I help organize events which we don't have any at the moment but online yeah but it's uh, I mean it's yeah it is what it is um, mm-hmm. but what I really miss is being able to you know physically go somewhere and you know help out in a food bank for a day mm-hmm. or um, like the other day, I had to do interviews of um, young children for a project that we're evaluating, and um, they're children that all live in a less advantaged um, uh, neighborhood of Berlin. Mm-hmm. And um, I did, you know, eleven interviews to find out how COVID has impacted them. Yeah. And I mean. I'd say 40% of them had serious impacts, like relatives died, oh, grandfather in the, in a coma, et cetera, et cetera. And it really put me back in touch with the how much more people who are in less advantaged areas yeah. um, are disproportionately affected by, by, sure. by COVID. And it made me just miss not being able to have that. Um, you don't even, I mean, we're, because we don't have these random interactions on the street mm-hmm. or in cafes or in stores anymore, because we're all distancing, um, yeah. you kind of um, stay more in your bubble um, more than ever. And yeah. I feel that can be very isolating for people who, um, yeah, who are going through a lot of trouble right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to when we can do um, that more and we have just, you know, quick tests available and mm-hmm. things like that and just can, um, can, um, yeah, have a bit more of a social fabric and yeah. social safety net uh, that you can see. Yeah. Go back to normal. You know, you, you mentioned earlier how even from the, or your earliest days, you uh, had both, you know, one foot in Canada, one foot in Europe, and you definitely felt uh, a greater affinity for Europe. And you've lived now in Berlin for many years and, you feel very much at home there. Do you feel or have you felt at home anywhere else in your life? Uh, if you did, where and what made it so? Yeah, and I would, I, I still love Canada. Um, I um, 
Um, I, I didn't turn my back on Canada. In fact, I actually even spent a month there during um, the Corona times. And I do feel very much at home in Montreal. That's uh, mm. my hometown where I lived for still the largest, most number of years. And whenever I Oh, I fly over, uh, and as I land in Montreal in Dorval Airport, now Pierre Elliott Trudeau Airport, and I see the Mont Royal and uh, you know my old high school. I could see it from the sky. Wow. My heart pounds, <laughs> and I'm I'm just like, welcome back. Yeah. So if if Canada didn't have its harsh winters, I would probably be living <laughs> in Montreal. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think India uh, ruined that for me forever. So definitely Montreal, and it's, I mean, it's really where I, where I, I mean, that's uh, like just even hearing the Quebecois accent. It just, you know, even I sometimes just for fun watch Quebecois films just to, oh, that the moment I hear it, I'm, I'm at home. Yeah, nice, nice. So definitely that place, and then um, India, I would say, is another. Uh, sort of home, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I I lived there when I was quite young. So I was 22 to 25 when I lived in India. Mm-hmm. And um, so just um, now I would, back then it was Delhi, but now my home in, in India is Mumbai because some of mm-hmm. my best friends on this earth live there. Cool. Um, and so I'd say what makes home is, Sometimes it could be the same apartment um, so that a friend has lived in the same apartment for 10 years. Every time I go back, it's it's still the same place and it feels like home. So yeah. I have a home in Munich. I have a home in London. I have a home in Mumbai. It's just places where, you know, it's a combination of great friends mm-hmm. in a cultural environment that I, that I you know, that I, you know, is meaningful to me where I've spent formative years in Um yeah, and then maybe some smells and sounds and food. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're mentioning London, and given the work that you do with Value for Good, a lot of your clients being large NGOs, um, multinational organizations, uh, bigger businesses, um, a lot of them are based in places like Washington, D.C., London, Paris, New York. Wouldn't it make so much more sense to uh, live there? I mean, I understand you feel comfortable in Berlin, but have you ever given thought to the fact that uh, with some of your clients being outside of uh, Berlin, maybe being closer to them would uh, help uh, help you do more of what you do? Mm, that's a great question. I mean, technically, I could have based the company in many different places, mm. Um and uh, and yeah, London, New York, DC could have all been been options. Um, I didn't really want to live in the states. <clears throat> had have, had lived there before, but also getting uh, yeah, and having a company incorporated in the states and getting all the, that's I don't know. Didn't want to go down that that route. Fair enough. <laughs> and then um, with London and the Brexit happening, I didn't oh, yeah. wasn't appe- appealing either. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, Berlin. Um, over the last eight years has really started to establish itself also with the growing, with the Brexit, you know, looming over um, everything um, has actually grown into a hub for foundations. And um, so a lot um, of uh, foundations have established um, um, European headquarters here or an an, an additional office um, like the Gates Foundation has done the Wellcome Trust um, Open Society 
Um, so it's more and more becoming, I mean, it's also become a real political hub as well for Europe. So um, it's no longer this um, hinterland of a, of a city it used to be. Mm -hmm. Understood. Well, that's uh, that's been a pretty fascinating uh, discussion chatting with you about all these different aspects of your life and uh, your career, Clara. Um, thank you My for pleasure. taking thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Well, thank you, Paul, and uh, always so great to catch up with you too. Right on. And it's so great you're doing this. This is awesome. Keep it up. <laughs> right on. We've been speaking with Clara Peron, the founder and managing director of Global Sustainable Development Consultancy Value for Good, from her home in Berlin, Germany. Thank you for to, your, to our show sponsor, Sound Lounge by T-Bone, and to our listeners for tuning in. If you have any questions about the show or our guests, email me, Paul Miazga, at expatenclave at gmail.com. Until next time. Like the show? Let us know. Rate and review the podcast wherever you found our show, or email me, Paul Miazga, at expatenclave at gmail.com. for every day of our audience our fans our customers that they listen to who we are to what we are but it only happens when your idea is delivered well in a way that makes them feel the message using every audio resource available today sound lounge by t-bone takes the intention and captures it enhances it and presents it to your audience with power and purpose whether you're shooting a movie, recording a song, crafting a brand, or simply putting a story down for the future, consider T-Bone. Dedicated to the craft of audio engineering, he will deliver the attention your project deserves. Sound Lounge by T-Bone.